coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. So much of the conversation for us in BIPOC communities is about having to break stigma. Beyond like expanding access, it's also breaking stigma and returning mm-hmm. the conversation to say, like the reason we focus on the ancestor, on our ancestral traditions and practices so much is to really like show our community that these medicines come from our traditions. And we've been, we've been colonized. Everyone has been colonized away from our animistic and indigenous shamanic traditions. Hunter-gatherer traditions. I mean, essentially. So, you know, the Shipibo, great influence for us. Mm -hmm. The the Maztec, the Huichal, the Pygmy, the Gabon, the Dogon, the Egyptian, but also Celtic, the, the Celtics and the Wiccan traditions. And this is one of the things we also share with people. It's like, you know, all humans have hunter-gatherer traditions. And most of those traditions, there's a, there's a similarity in terms of this, this deep respect and reverence for everything around, a connection with everything around. And, you know, and then, and then the why, the big why is a rite of passage that has to do with you evolving yourself so that you could be, again, a greater participant in, in your society. Welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture, designed for therapists, healers, retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts. Presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. When ancestral wisdom is missing from the modern psychedelic conversation, the Black-led Sabina Project is there to educate, reduce harm, and facilitate ceremony. On today's episode of the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, I sit down with co-founders Charlotte James and Andrea Wright to reconnect to sacred earth medicines. We begin the show discussing combo, a healing ritual using the poisonous secretions of the giant monkey frog. We talk about why it is so necessary to connect to ancestral wisdom in the modern psychedelic movement through the lens of the project's upcoming series, Afro Psychedelia. Charlotte and Dre share how the Sabina Project has shifted to facilitate remote legal ceremonies with rapé, also called hapé, an Amazonian medicinal snuff. Overall, Dre and Charlotte embody the Sabina Project's mission of teaching others how to live life in ceremony. Charlotte James and Andrea Wright are co-founders of the Sabina Project, named after Maria Sabina, a Mazateca curandera. The Sabina Project focuses on providing psychedelic education, particularly for the BIPOC community, as well as preparation and integration and the facilitation of legal ceremonies. Charlotte has a background in harm reduction, psychedelic exploration, and marketing strategy. Andrea is a combo medicine practitioner and cannabis entrepreneur involved in decriminalization efforts. Together, they utilize ancient earth medicines and ancestral wisdom to support equitable liberation and spiritual enlightenment. Andrea, Charlotte, welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. It's an honor to speak with both of you. I've been tracking your work with Sabina Project for a while now. I really appreciate the way that you're approaching these medicines. And I think that our listeners, wherever they are on the scale of of psychedelic medicine, uh, sacred plant medicine, earth medicine, 
they're going to get a lot from what you have to share today and be able to think about how they approach their work and how they support their clients in vastly different ways. So grateful for your wisdom today and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, uh, thanks thank for you. having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel that it's probably best to kind of establish y'all's relationship here to talk about where you met. I understand that you met at the People of Color Psychedelics Conference in 2019. Am I correct? Or did you meet prior to that? And that that was just where the vision came about? Yeah. yeah. We had like a, a phone conversation. We had first, a phone right? conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was working in a co-working space. Mm-hmm. Someone came in with uh, combo marks. And I made a sly comment about how they probably went to a white shaman. And they were like, nah, it's a, it's a black guy here in Baltimore. And I was like, what? And they connected us. We had a conversation. Mm. And then we ended up going to the conference together. And that's, I think, where like the understanding of the need of the community really settled in right. for us. And, for me, and anyway. yeah. I mean, you, I think you already convinced. She wanted to do, when we, for, for the first conversation, she, she, you know, was very polite, but she was saying that she wanted to, I thought what I heard her say was that she wanted to do th- these ceremonies exclusively for BIPOC. And I was not having it. I was like, no, I don't, I, the transcendence is a place where we all are together as one, one vibration. And it's not appropriate to exclude people from that, that you know, from ceremony, but that also, but in an integrative space, it, it, there are times where it makes sense to like separate people so they, they, they can work on their own healing process if they're triggered by others. So we had that conversation and I think I was respectful, but I also had this perspective that, oh, this young person, let me school this young person today. But she was really smart about it. She, she said, she said, oh, okay, thank you for sharing. And then she says, I have these tickets to this, this uh, BIPOC conference in Washington, D.C. And then I was like, oh, so here's a teacher teaching me, you know. Yeah. So we went to the conference and it was really my eyes were open and my heart was, you know, really softened to the needs of people of color. There were so many beautiful people there all expressing how really uncomfortable they felt like in all white spaces uh, being vulnerable. And a lot of trauma that was that was committed in those spaces when you know when they would be you know told that their experiences, their struggles, their daily struggles with racism, structural racism, weren't really real or that something they can just you know wish away, just meditate and be happy, be connected to everything. Mm-hmm. So it caused more trauma. So yeah, that's how we got created. Yeah. Charlotte, you come from a background in drug-related public health and harm reduction. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you did before co-founding the Sabina Project? Yeah, so I moved to Baltimore for college. And when I got here, was very convinced that I wanted to study public health. And through that, got connected into harm reduction through needle exchange programs and opioid um, overdose prevention, specifically around Narcan trainings. That was really my like introduction to harm reduction, but I wasn't applying those principles of harm reduction to my own life experience and my own exploration Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. psychedelics. I was in college. It was the height of the EDM boom. And so 
the conversation on harm reduction hadn't really moved into the psychedelic space in the mm-hmm. way that it it is now. Um, and I ended up really just burning myself out. Like I didn't have the life skills to be doing such intense ground level public health work and harm reduction work because I didn't have the tools to care for myself. So I really, I convinced myself that that, I, that sort of service impact work was not where I needed to be, which was very much against what my heart was saying, but I was like, I need to like go and make money. Um, mm-hmm. So after college, I lived in Bolivia for a year. Then I ended up coming back to the U.S. and just like going hard in the tech industry and working in marketing and got increasingly further away from myself. And that's at the point when Combo came into my life in the form of meeting Dre was that I was just like at the point where my my ego avatar was going too hard and it was truly affecting my my whole life and and so that's how I was able to come back like by doing my own healing and bolstering my own spirit is how I was able to come back into doing community harm reduction or impact work. Yeah. You know, and we actually haven't talked very much about combo on this show. Combo is quite a potent medicine and a bit less known, I think, than in certainly in the mainstream than a lot of the more fireworks, visual kind of psychedelic space. So we'll get to do a little talking about combo. And, and to start, Andrea, when did you get involved in serving combo? How did combo come into your life? Well, I think probably about, I guess, eight years ago now, I've been apprenticing, working with grandma, ayahuasca, and learning that tradition. And then a gentleman came from England and served combo. This is like probably my third time experiencing that. Just started training, learned from them. And then when I went back to my teachers, we went back to Peru and learned a little bit more about the medicine. And after about a year of working with the medicine, they started practicing with other people. And for our listeners who are not familiar, what is combo? Mm, okay. So she's going to tell you the Latin name of it. I don't really care about the, the Latin Medusa name. bicolor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the green tree monkey frog. Um, so it's a frog that, you know, it has really no predators in the Amazon. And depending on what tribe, the Masais, they actually bark they, and they call it down to them, call it comes down to the ground. And well, what they're doing is a mating call. Actually, <laughs> it sounds like the female, which is interesting because it's not a very romantic sounding <laughs> part. But anyway, so they come down and they, they gather the frogs and very humanely they uh, on the skin. It produces a neurotoxin uh, and they use sticks and they scrape that, that neurotoxin in a very gentle way. They're not harming the frog. And then... They usually put it on a stick and it dries. And then when we're ready to administer a combo, we'll either use saliva or water. We'll mix that together. That's one way of doing it. Now, there's another way I do. I actually use a powder, powder form of um, the combo medicine. And then we put the medicine on gates on your skin. So those are basically gates is a really nice way of saying <laughs> we, we, we take an incense and we burn, make a blister in your skin. Right. And we scrape up, we open that blister so that you, the combo medicine can reach your lymphatic system in a very quick, quick succession. And in about five, uh, I'd say three to five minutes, what people usually notice is their heart rate will increase. Their, their head will get really 
hot, almost like steam. Like it feels kind of like steam. You're, like, you're getting pressure in your head. And then all of a sudden, all that goes away. You get cold and then a person begins to purge. Um, there's different styles of, of administering the medicine. Some folks drink water. After you've administered the medicine, I prefer the style where they drink two liters of water first. Sometimes people can't get all that water in them. And then we administer the medicine so they can purge in about 15, roughly about 15 to 18 minutes, mm-hmm. they, the purge. Um, the other style, the reason why I don't like using that is unless unless a person can't keep the water down, it's because now you're looking at from eight, an 18-minute ordeal can extend to 40 minutes to an hour. Um, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't I do no an hour of that. to drag it out like <laughs> no. no reason no. Um, get it in get it out get it in get it out. yeah exactly um yeah and in a in the traditional use mm. the the myth is that or the story not the myth but the the origin story mm-hmm. of the medicine is that the there was a tribe of people they were very sick the shaman went to sit with grandmother mm-hmm. and she instructed to go and use this frog as really like a vaccine essentially because it's an incredible immune immune booster and so i mean especially for the times that we're currently in combo is an interesting medicine that i think we could be looking to more because its origin was really in treating essentially a, a community-wide pandemic yeah right that's that's really the point and what the way combo works it actually combo the medicine itself actually doesn't heal you um Mm -hmm. but what it does is it triggers your entire immune system all at once to react and to purge or to take all those toxins and the trauma that's in your body and put it in your stomach where you can purge it and, and get rid of it and purging is what we consider getting well so we usually celebrate celebrate when viva when someone <laughs> purges because that's like a really exciting time. You're letting go of your story, you know. And what we always encourage people, I say, listen, like, let go of your story, like, leave it in a bucket, right? The story of you're not good enough, the story of this illness that you have, whatever trauma that you've experienced, let go of that in the bucket, right? And then and then say goodbye, say a prayer, and say goodbye, and say thank you, you know, for the lessons that you learned from that. And I like to think of combo or my my great analogy that I like to use about combo is that, you know, those uh, 40 pound weight vests that people wear in to exercise nowadays, everybody's got this weight vest. So most of us are walking around with that, right? All that pressure of the world is on us, but we're just so used to suffering, uh, you know, peacefully. But then you take combo and that 40 pound vest is off, right? And there's a lightness in you. And I recommend within a 28-day lunar cycle, people do uh, three treatments minimum. And what we find is that from that point going to about six weeks after, people notice like an an increase in lightness, an increase in their ability to manage life without without complication, like things that seem to be blockage, blocks seem to go away. And there's an improvement in their vitality that increases. And it seems to last, I mean, you know, 18 months to two years, right? So it's a long time that this medicine really works. It's really, really Mm -hmm. beautiful medicine. And your immune system is fortified. And I don't think, the only other thing I think that would give you a comparable experience in terms of fortifying your immune system and healing you uh, would be fasting for seven days with this water. Um, Which is way harder. Right, right. So... (laughs) In my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no fun. Uh, It's no fun. I mean, it... 
you know, actually, you know, it really depends, right? Because if you're in the jungle fasting in isolation, it's actually quite easy. Fair, but if we're talking about the modern experience right. where but you're was, like... Yeah, if I was here in America with all these distractions, no, I, could, I couldn't fast for more than three days. I wouldn't want to fast for more than three yeah, days. Yeah, I'm about to do three. Yeah. And I'm like already like... Good for you. Enjoy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, Eva. Yes. Yeah. So, so y- y'all went to this conference and the idea started percolating to create a group that would support BIPOC folks in psychedelic medicine, that would help with education, would support in integration, and would offer legal ceremonies in the United States. You named it the Sabina Project. And many of the listeners may know who Maria Sabina was, um, but for those who don't, I'd love to hear her story briefly and also why you chose to name this the Sabina Project. Mm. Yeah. So Maria Sabina was a Mazatec curandera mm. who worked with with the little teachers as healing tool uh, in in candlelight ceremonies that were called veladas. The story of Maria Sabina is a bit complicated. She's very well known in the West as someone that sort of like introduced the West, quote unquote, introduced the West to mushroom Mm -hmm. medicine and Mm -hmm. and healing with mushroom ceremonies. But the way that that happened was challenged and involved some non-consensual sharing of her Mm -hmm. name and her story and her image by R. Gordon Wasson, Mm -hmm. who was a, a white man from the U.S. And, you know, this had a number of consequences on her community, on her as an individual. And that that portion of the story is not frequently known or retold in the psychedelic space. So I had learned about her story, the sort of this other aspect of how many of us in the West have actually learned about mushroom medicine and healing ceremonies and the consequences that it had on her and her community. And then I went to see this documentary on fungi in which they mention her, but really like don't, there's a a lot of erasure around the truth of, of the consequences of that introduction and that interaction. And of course, you know, at some point along the way, I'm sure the West would have, you know, been connected to mushroom medicine in some way, but this is how it happened. And these are the consequences of that. And so, you know, in this movie, they really don't mention that. And then they say that she was very grateful when they brought her the synthetic version uh, of the medicine, which also didn't really seem very founded in, in fact. And so I stood up after the movie to ask a question Um, There was a panel of mycologists after and also just like added this little bit of, and by the way, like, you know, they dropped Maria Sabina's name, but they don't really tell you what, what's up in the history. And after that, I I called Dre and I was like, I know what we should name it. Uh, And so we named it the Sabina Project. And I mean, we really see that as a veneration in the, in many of the traditions that we come from Mm -hmm. both in learning and just our cultural background. Um, Naming things is a way to venerate your and honor your your ancestors and those right. that came before you, and really to shift this narrative back to she is an ancestor, she is right. a sacred ancestor. This mm-hmm. is a sacred tradition. These medicines are sacred, and 
so yeah, we, we felt that that was a yeah, yeah a I, way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about it, you know the conversations around psychedelics, it's, it tends to always be these kind that you you hear John Hopkins, mm-hmm. you hear Maps, Timothy Leary, Timothy Leary, Dennis McKenna. Dennis McKenna um Hoffman right right but you're like we, where what where? about our ancestors <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hello <laughs> you know what I mean? and they talk about it as if they're discovering something right and I and for me you know if you want to really know what harm how to event prevent harm is pay attention to how our ancestors use these medicines and how and the reason why they use these medicines mm-hmm. as well like what was the reason it wasn't just so I could deal with my my stuff. It was so I could deal with my stuff, so I could be a greater participant in my society. What you see here is a lot of people using these medicines to deal with their addiction or their trauma, but then they, because there's no connection back to their responsibility to the rest of us, they continue to churn out this abusive structure. So for example, in Silicon Valley, it's very popular to microdose on mushrooms or LSD so that they can work longer and be more efficient in creating a society and an environment where some people have a lot and most of us have very little, right? And so to me, just doing psychedelics does not mean that you're going to become an awakened person. Mm-hmm. You just might be, be better at caring for your body, your flesh suit, but it doesn't certainly mean that you, it translates to you caring for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Asha. So... I love what you're saying about bringing in the ancestral wisdom. And I'm curious what other sources you look to and how you bring these different voices, these different traditions into the education component that the Sabina Project is focused on. What are some of the threads that you're, that you're sharing with the greater community? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this could be a cool time to announce our... Big Black History Month uh, thing. Sure. <laughs> Sounds great so to me. So other than, other than Afro Psychedelia, we are hosting a conversation with some Bwiti elders from Gabon who yeah. will be transmitting in with a translator to talk mm. about the origins of that medicine because we're really trying to... So much of the conversation for us in BIPOC communities is about having to break stigma. Beyond like expanding access, it's also breaking stigma and returning mm-hmm. the conversation to say, like the reason we focus on the ancestor, on our ancestral traditions and practices so much is to really like show our community that these medicines come from our traditions. And we've been, we've been colonized. Everyone has been colonized right. away from our animistic and indigenous shamanic traditions. Yeah, together traditions. I mean, essentially. So, you know, the Shipibo, um, great influence for us. Mm-hmm. The Maztec, the Wichal, the, the Pygmy in Gabon, um, the Dogon, Egyptian, the Egyptian, but also Celtic, the, the Celtics and the Wiccan traditions. And this is one of the things we also share with people. It's like, you know, all humans have hunter-gatherer traditions, right? All homo sapiens, right? Neanderthals as well. And most of those traditions, whether you call them Lakota or whether you call them, you know... Bwiti. Bwiti. There's a, there's a similarity in terms of this, this deep respect and reverence for everything around, a connection with everything around. And, you know, and then 
And then the why, the big why, there's a rite of passage that has to do with you evolving yourself so that you could be, again, a greater participant in, in your society uh, were all very important. And the other thing is, in, in, you know, what you see in the West is typically you have young people experimenting with these things. And the elders are pretending that these medicines, because maybe they've been brainwashed or, or for whatever reason, are bad, right? Whereas in these traditions, the elders are bringing you to these traditions and giving you a set of principles and beliefs and reasons to do this versus us trying to experiment with these things, you know, on our own, which potentially this is where the harm comes from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When is this event where we'll be able to hear from Witi elders? Because our, our listeners may be very interested. I certainly <laughs> am. I have a, my own connection with the Witi and I'd, I'd love to hear myself. Yes. Yeah, so it will be on Saturday, the 20th at 10 a.m. EST. Uh, we had to take into consideration their time difference mm-hmm. and Gabon is on a pandemic curfew lockdown. So 10 a.m. EST on the 20th, we'll be talking with Dongo Maviso, Tatayo, and Mama Jeji, all from the Ibando community. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about the origins of Buiti and the mm-hmm. use of Iboga, um, other rites of passage, because I think, you know, frequently in the... Western world will will learn about hunter-gatherer or indigenous practices as it relates to one medicine that mm-hmm. becomes like very well known. But I mean, as as you know, in Buiti tradition, there are so many different types of ceremony and rites of passage that make you a true initiate beyond just the medicine work. So we'll talk a bit about that. And that's really to sort of wrap up our week of Afro-psychedelia celebration that we're doing in honor of I'm calling it Black Futures Month mm-hmm. this year. So we'll have interviewed around 10 to 15 mm-hmm. speakers and all of those interviews and videos will be included in a library that is completely free to view from February 15th to 19th and then we'll close out with this event with the Buiti Elders live on Saturday the 20th. Yeah. And you can find all of that on our site. Yeah. There's another conversation I'm excited about. There's a, there's a young man from England who's, who is an expert on all things mushrooms, and, but he specializes in mushrooms from Africa. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So he's going to talk, because there's also this notion that, you know, these mushrooms originated in, 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 in Mexico, right? mm-hmm. but we know what, you know, strong evidence to suggest that hunter-gatherers probably what expanded our, our brain capacity in the first two million years was, was eating um, mushrooms, right? And so he's going to talk about some of these different strains that are in Africa and and the, some of the traditions around that. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm happy that we'll be getting this podcast out next week. So we'll be able to point people to that. And I know just before we started, um, you'd mentioned that you were interested in starting up a podcast. Will some of these conversations land on the future Sabina podcast? Is that oh, something absolutely. we can look forward to as well? Cool. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we just decided the name uh, today, From High to Healing, right? Nice. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And that's so much where we're at 
in psychedelics right now is, you know, the world has sort of woken up to the healing power of these medicines. Yeah. And there's, uh, there are businesses who want to move fast and break things and make money. There's nonprofits who are trying to hold that back. Thankfully, there's a really robust conversation about affordable access and also cultural yeah. access to psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Sage Institute is doing a great job with their work over there yeah. in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. What are some other organizations aside from Sabina Project that that y'all are really impressed by that are making the right steps in psychedelics in terms of access and equity and really bringing everyone into these medicines in the right way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that's well, <laughs> that was a ton of pause. <laughs> I would say Kalindi's Yeah, yeah, Kalindi's network, yeah, Baba the kind of yeah. network is doing a phenomenal job. And really, you know, Baba Kalindi was was on the forefront of like speaking the truth about specifically about um, psilocybin and its use in, in Africa and the continent and mm-hmm. like how to apply these medicines yeah. uh, in a more traditional way. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, his example that we're, we're, we're hoping to support more. Um, what else can you think of anybody else out there that is doing? Uh, no? No one? <laughs> I mean, Sage is dope. You mentioned Sage. That would have been my yeah. go-to. Yeah. But yeah, it's a little dry out in these streets i think a lot there's so i think there was a first a first wave or whatever you want to call it in this like most recent uptick of mainstreaming psychedelics there was like the large institution wave right Right, right, which is like the maps the the chakruna the those folks right the that's really those the two that come to mind (laughs) really the challenge there is that they are, tend to be very research focused yeah. and they're not really talking to like the person who's like, dang, I keep hearing this in the news and I'm wondering how I even start a healing practice right. with these medicines. What are the different medicines right. available right. that I could even think about working with? And like, what are the traditions that they come from? So really like breaking it down onto that more accessible level of information yeah it's it's there's there's a gap for sure we're working on it well i was gonna say luckily you're here and of course you've segued most masterfully into where i'd love to go next with the conversation which is how is sabina doing that how is your work with the sabina project helping to close the gap in awareness of how uh, how folks who are just hearing about this on the news might approach their own healing in a way that's in integrity with their with their you know personal ancestral lineages and also with the healing that they most need. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got tons of information on our website. The digital content we, we we're spending a lot of time making like free free digital content for people mm-hmm. um, and getting you know interviews from elders to kind of talk about their the podcast that we're going to talk about. I'm, we're really excited because we'll have you know elders come on and talk about like how do they prepare for ceremony right, right. so what's interesting is you you typically hear people who you know relatively new to these these experiences sharing how their advice but i'd love to hear from elders who've been doing these these medicines for 20 30 40 years how do you do these medicines how do you prepare for ceremony you're yeah. you're actually leading ceremony but like what is the sequence that you use or the secret sauce to your, your methodology mm-hmm. for saying to, to keeping your mirror clean and, and being prepared to support and heal other people. Because ultimately, everyone, every healer that I've ever met is in a constant process of healing themselves. 
and, and improving themselves, mm-hmm. right? They've just been doing it for a longer period of time, right? <laughs> yeah. So they have lots of knowledge uh, about like how do you how do you safely step in the ceremony? Yeah. How do, you, how do you access those deeper those deeper conversations with yourself and and, and ancestral healing? Yeah. And so on and so on. Yeah. I think it also, as we're saying that, I'm just like, this is a great question. So thank you for asking this. I think it has to also do with us as individuals and Mm -hmm. how we came to the medicines, Mm -hmm. our experiences in that, like how you and I came together as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. to do this work. So like what I see a lot in this space is a really clear, a harsh distinction Mm -hmm. between the research community, Mm -hmm. the sacred, like very woo woo folks Mm -hmm. and the people who are like, I'm here to be trippy, bro. Right. (laughs) Which is like the next generation that's coming in, that's hearing it from pop culture. That's Mm -hmm. hearing it from artists who are talking about popping tabs and getting shroomy. And so I feel like we've been able to like bridge those gaps in our conversations. Mm -hmm. Right. Like both from just a visual you know, I didn't have a great time working in marketing and tech, but I certainly learned a lot about yeah. how you how you use language and storytelling to attract people to a message, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not saying, you know, we are really clear in making our space judgment-free and saying, listen, you may have come to this medicine, you might have been using what in a way that would be seen as quote unquote recreational, mm. or you may be coming from ceremony, mm. but like there is, there's no wrong way to come to the medicine as long as you come with respect and reverence. And so really just like giving people, I think also we started like last year, we were trying to have conversations that were like Wachuma 101. No, people don't know what Wachuma is. They don't know what Wachuma is. They want to know, like, how do I build an altar? Right. How do I create a ceremony for myself? How do I create daily ritual and practices Mm -hmm. that make it so that I can integrate these experiences that I'm having? A lot of people happen upon it accidentally, right? Mm -hmm. They're, like, with their friends, and they're, like, I was going to go have this, like, cool trippy day. And then all of a sudden, they're, like, oh, I just peeled back the veils of my ego, and now I'm understanding, oh, I probably could be using these medicines in a more intentional way, but right. now where are the resources for me to figure out what that even looks and like? That's the gap I think we fill. That's exactly. Right. Um, it's been, uh, most of our, a lot of our energy is on preparing people for a ceremony. Yeah. Developing your intention, like spend some significant amount of time developing your intention, right? And then the integration, like what happens after ceremony that, you know, what are those, beliefs, habits, ideas, people that no longer serve you that you're excited to let go of. And yeah. what are those things you're going to replace? Right. right? So it's the, it's the awakening. Now you're aware. Now what are the action steps you're going to take next? Right. Yeah. Because you do see in this, in the psychedelic community, people treat these medicines with a tremendous amount of disrespect. Number one, the first thing is I noticed that there's not a relationship that people build with these medicines. It's like, what can this medicine do for me versus hi, my name is Jure, and I could you can you support me in my healing practice, right? So developing a relationship with these medicines, uh, they're just not alive. And then and then a person will go and have a, a, a cathartic experience, they'll have a release, and then they'll go eat a McDonald's cheeseburger and, and have a Coca Cola, 
right? And and you ruined all the good work that they've done, right? So it's a little disrespectful, right? Yeah. There is a way. There is. There is a. You know. There, again, I believe that we believe, both believe that these medicines call you to to them, and then you choose to answer the call, right? Right. But also, everyone who has access to these medicines, you are in a very privileged position, right? And that privilege requires some responsibility on your part, right? That, you know, work, work on yourself, but don't just keep coming back. I, I hear people talk about ayahuasca. I'm going to go get a cleanup. No, <laughs> that's, that's to me, the wrong answer. It's disrespectful. And if you think about the fact that because more and more people are knowing and having access to these medicines, that means that more and more people are going to, to use these medicines. And then at some point we won't have enough of these medicines, right? If you keep coming back, over and over again to, to work out the same story over and over again and over. And part of the reason why you're working up this story is because you've healed yourself from that trauma, then you re-traumatize yourself by, by, by continuing with the same habits, beliefs, and ideas that didn't serve you in the first place. Yeah. So asking some very important questions before you sit in ceremony, right? This is not, this is the other thing, my, one of my pet peeves is, I just want to have an experience. No. It's not about you having an experience. It's not an amusement park. Right, right. <laughs> you, got, you got so annoyed at me one time because I was like, I feel like this medicine would help me practice to prepare for this other yeah. medicine. And you were like, no, <laughs> that's not why you do it. I was like, right. Got it. OK, got to go back on yeah. the intention on the, on the <laughs> board on that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think as you're saying this, it's like we're preparing. We're helping people prepare to live their life in ceremony. Right. Mm, yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Share more yeah. about that. Right. Yeah. 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 So think about, think about how you, well, how I recommend strongly most people <laughs> for ceremony, right? Typically when you go to sit with Iboga or Aya, Aya or, you know, high doses of mushrooms, you're not like, Oh, we're going to have a party tonight. You're a little nervous. <laughs> you know? You're a little thoughtful, right? There's a dieta that you follow, right? To pre- prepare for ceremony to, clean your body and so that you can receive these medicines with gentleness and respect, right? Imagine if we were that thoughtful in, in our words, deeds, and actions throughout life, right? Right. But what, t- what happens, t- what tends to happen is people are very thoughtful for that experience because there are consequences, right? If you come to an ayahuasca ceremony, not properly prepared, your grandma will teach you. <laughs> Never do that again, right? <laughs> Right. It's a very strong lesson you get. So if we use those same principles to approach in our life, if we were impeccable with our work, our favorite book is The Four Agreements um, by Don Miguel Ruiz. If we were impeccable with, with our word if we didn't take anything personal, didn't make assumptions and we did our best daily. What a wonderful world we would experience mm-hmm. right, by doing that, mm-hmm. th- doing that. Like mm-hmm. everything can be intentional, even when you drink water. Right. Do it with intention. Doing it every time you sip water. Think of it as an act of love and veneration for yourself every time you consume that that water, that you ingest that water and ask for permission and thanks and gratefulness. Mm-hmm. You know, when that, that water for providing, you know, all the nourishment that you're going to get mm-hmm. from that water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were also just to loop back a little bit on mm-hmm. the question of how we're how we're bridging this gap. Mm-hmm. Other two things I see happening a lot in this space. There's a lot of people who are offering trainings where you have to either already be a clinician, already be a certified whatever, or it's like a training to learn how to hold space or a training how to 
in these shamanic arts or in that shamanic arts and they're really high cost typically but it also skips over an entire group of people that like haven't had their first journey so they're not thinking about what their psychedelic business is going to be or you know how they're like getting trained to hold space or you know people have had like one journey and then are trying to rush into uh holding space for others or doing whatever training programs so they can serve medicine so there's or there's or, that or people are holding space with medicines that they've never actually worked with before that as well which is to me wild just it's just <laughs> and then we'll, we're about to get into that but the the one other thing is i think that our generational difference serves us yes really largely right like i'm not about to call dre an elder he's not we're like you know on the road someday Someday. soon ish 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 (laughs) but i think that it helps that we just have a much broader perspective because because of our generational difference and Mm -hmm. we're we like have a like a deep respect for learning from each other so Mm -hmm. we understand that it can work Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be all young people leading young people Mm -hmm. and elders off you know saying don't do these drugs or whatever it is like there's a way to make it work but it it really does have to be about mutual respect and a willingness to like listen and learn from each other and have like a like a circular friendship mentorship learning relationship yeah family love yeah yeah, it's true. I love that. Could we could we all be so lucky to be working on on our businesses with folks who have such a dynamic? That's wonderful. It's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But yeah, I like this topic though of people <laughs> serving medicine if they haven't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm thinking what what to say about it. Like, you know, a lot of these conversations, you, you know, people want to hear like lots of facts and figures. I, I'm not going to do that. Just don't do it. It's, it's inappropriate. It's disrespectful to you, to the medicine, and to the people that you're supporting and holding space for. There's just no way that you can identify what a person is going through in a high-dose mushroom experience or, or you know, in, in really... Therapeutic-dose mushroom experience. Yeah, in if you haven't done these medicines before. And um, I just want to encourage people to, you know, to get connected in a place of deep love and respect for the people that they're working with, right? Don't, don't see yourself, don't see the person as an object, right? But And see yourself as like a vessel, a bridge that the medicine works through. I know that for me and most of my mentors, the way we approach our healing practice is that we, we don't do any healing. We're just a vessel, right? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, our ancestors, spirit guides and allies are thousands, you know, plants are 65 million years older than me. Right, tremendous amount of wisdom, and and my grandfather rocks. I mean, you know, the old the oldest relatives I have, like the wisdom that they share and teach me. My my job in ceremony is just to be quiet, right, and not to project any of my own nonsense mm-hmm. onto other people. And yeah, uh, but for sure, I, I just don't see how you can get connected with the with these plant spirits because they require a community of you. It's, it's, it's not an option. <laughs> can't just look at these medicines and say hey how are you you actually have to connect with these medicines and that the way they want to connect and most of these medicines require ingestion gesture eating consuming these medicines and getting those medicines as part of your your spirit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I love that. I love I love the wisdom that you're giving around how psychedelic healers or plant medicine healers can approach this work. And I was curious since you started the Sabina Project during the time of COVID, and you've been offering legal ceremonies, you've been doing so primarily remotely. And from what I've read, this is where you send the recipient a little package with the medicine, and then you do a Zoom session where you actually remotely hold space for someone to have that experience. And I'm curious what you've learned from those experiences of sitting with people doing remote space holding and assisting with preparation and assisting with integration Mm -hmm. in the capacity of that kind of remote ceremony. Mm. Yeah. That has been an interesting learning curve. Um, I think, I mean, we apply the same principles that we apply to in-person ceremony. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people sign up. They receive a lot of resources ahead of time Mm -hmm. before we ever get on zoom. And then after we've even during the zoom, there's a lot of like, there's space to ask questions. There's mm-hmm. a lot of instruction given. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we sit and we have just sort of shared meditation and connection mm-hmm. time. And then mm-hmm. we hold space at the end for sharing and for having that that beginnings of integration conversation and thinking about how folks can make commitments to integrate Hape into their you know, regular, if not daily practice. Mm-hmm. Um, they receive resources on how to do dieta, with a medicine. And I, I mean, I think the other part of what we're doing is trying to demystify the medicine a little bit, right? Because up until now, this is like, this is a question around access, right? right? A lot of these medicines, you do need to travel. Traveling requires a lot of money, right? And time and that not all folks have. And it also has made it so like people don't understand where they can get information on this medicine, medicines that they can begin to build a practice with on their own. Mm -hmm. And so that was, you know, a lot of our sort of motivation behind offering these ceremonies is like how even during a time of isolation, can you be in connection with sacred earth allies, sacred earth medicine allies, Mm -hmm. and, and work with these practices to improve your well-being? Yeah. You know what? I, it's interesting. I, when we first started this this idea about doing ceremonies remotely, I actually was a little worried about it because you know I'm used to doing ceremony in a group, and I'm respo- we're responsible for clearing the space and making sure everything's safe for folks. And you know, there's a lot of medicines I don't think I could do a remote. I certainly wouldn't do lead an ayahuasca ceremony or wachuma ceremony or combo or a combo remotely, but. You know what I what I do appreciate about this is there's less like there's a less likelihood of transference of power in these experiences, mm. right? Because mm. you are responsible for clearing your space, right? We're giving you we're giving you all of the the tools, the information, guys, and you have to be proactive in like supporting your own your own health. Because sometimes I, you know you, you'll have after an experience, someone will say, "Oh, thank you for healing me," and I always have to say, "No, no, no, <laughs> don't." Give me that. Thank you very much, but not it wasn't me. <laughs> I have very little to do with this, right? I'm just a, I'm just a very thankful participant in like getting you to see you, you um, explore the, you know, and learn the name that you chose before your parents were born, right? It's just a very privileged position that I'm in. I like to think of myself, or we like to think of ourselves as like flight instructors, right? Just teaching you how to 
you know, take your flight, your flesh suit off of autopilot, right? And at, at first it's a little scary, right? And, <laughs> oh, and then I'm like, okay, pull the rudder up a little bit here, do this and that. And then once you get it, like, you know, now you're, I'm just, I, my job is to move out of the way. And, you know, if, if something comes up and, yeah, and is unsafe, then I, I can support you in that process. Yeah, but so I'll back to that, that thought is, that was one thing I do appreciate about these virtual sessions is you can see people taking a lot, it seems like a lot more ownership in their healing practice, right? Because also what we're encouraging, especially with the medicine like Hypei, you know, it's a practice, right? And we also encourage people after you've done ceremony to do it like a dieta uh, with medicines for about seven, this medicine for seven days and having a conversation and, and inviting a conversation with this medicine to see how grandfather Hypei wants to work with you, like what, mm-hmm. and teach you how to blow What's the appropriate blow for you? What's the appropriate amount that is good for you? And it, it just—it's kind of exciting actually to yeah. see people like, like, oh, I'm my own, yeah. I'm my own little healer, I'm my own little shaman. You know, you can just see them taking their power in themselves. Wow, I can really do this, yeah. right? You know. And I mean, I think it came from after my first set of combo ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Hape was the first medicine that you gave me to mm-hmm. dieta, and mm-hmm. I was like oh, like I can do this for myself and build this practice. I was like, we could, we could support, Dre could teach other people to blow mm-hmm. in the same way that he did. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't do it for, obviously the first times in ceremony, he did it for me mm-hmm. because it's part of ceremony. But once I got a curipe, yeah. then you were like, here are the blows you can try. Yeah. Start with this amount of medicine. Yeah. Talk to me in a week. And I was like, oh. Okay, you know, and it was really empowering for me. And after doing that week, I was I came back and I was like, I think we could do this virtually. And yeah, it's been really beautiful. The part of my motivation of, of doing doing it that way is because I've noticed in my journey, I've been in these practices for over twelve years, and there's so many unnecessary secrets. Right? Yes, there's that. A, yes, it's like, uh, and you can see the ego, right? And people, right? <laughs> part of it is because. You know, they're creating these environments where they are the healer, healing people, right? And they're, they're, they're the source of power. And then people put these folks on pedestals, right? They transfer their power to that person, that, that person, until until they until they fall off the pedestal, then they project all their problems onto that this person did this that to me, right? And they become the victim of that situation, which is all, all of us really problematic. But you see all this, it's so interesting in these, in these uh, environments where these folks are hiding information or, or so reluctant to share like how they learn this information. But at the same time, whenever we're in ceremony and you have a rebirth transcendent experience, you realize that we're all one connected being, right? And that if one of us is suffering, all of us are suffering. So for me, it always made, didn't make sense. You know, we, we need more healers. I, I, we need more people out there sharing the good news of these medicines so we can get off, all get off of these pharmaceutical drugs that are killing us, right? So we can all stop being so anxious and depressed. And then in that anxiousness and depression, you know, hurting other people, right? Projecting onto other people our, mm-hmm. our problems. It's like an it's like a self-licking ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. We can fix that by like really like being the examples of love and light in this environment. Right. I also don't want to give up, I don't want to romanticize shamanism because there are Plenty of practices, you know, where healers, black ma- dark magic is is practiced. There are people who are really there for themselves, or there, you know, you know, you can go to certain people to get 
whatever done to someone else, you know, if a person also is in that belief system. But I think what what I've learned from these medicines is, is really about a deep connection and love for everything, right? And 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 in that there's a responsibility of sharing the knowledge as, as an elder with the rest of, of folks and give them the power to heal themselves, right? You know, I, I, I guess my long-term vision is that at some point combo will be very similar to vitamin C, you know, you know, you, you'll have a first aid kit. Every mom and dad will have a first aid kit in the house. And when, when little Johnny or little Leroy or, Mary or whatever. Leroy, is he a nine-year-old black man? He's <laughs> <laughs> not feeling well, right? You know, you know mom, mom, dad says, I got, I got you, son. There's a point, right? You know, there's a point. Boom, boom, boom. No need to have antibiotics that destroy your whole gut flora and everything else and your mitochondria and everything. No need to do that because we've got medicines that do that without contraindications. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's probably a long-term vision. But, you know, I'd like to see just us being as a tribe of humans to see ourselves, first of all, as a tribe and, and to like share this, the knowledge, all the knowledge and wisdom so we can heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, and you're sharing a lot of knowledge right now and you're sharing a lot of knowledge through the Sabina project. And as we wind down to the close of our conversation today, I always like to offer my guests the opportunity to speak directly to psychedelic healers, plant medicine healers, practitioners who may be listening. There are folks who are aspiring to work in these medicines. There are folks who've been working in a long, in the, with these medicines a long time. So with that in mind, what would you like to say to, to the healers out there from your perspective in the work that you've done and in the work that the Sabina Project's done? What would you like to share? Mm. Please do. Uh, a couple of things. The first one is humbleness, mm-hmm. right? Gentleness and respect for yourself and everyone else. Please don't think you're special, right? You have any superpowers or any gifts that are different than any other human being. You just happen to be in a very privileged position. And for whatever reason, these medicines called you to this practice, right? <clears throat> so be very grateful and thankful. And really spend a lot of your time really working your own stuff out, right? We're spending, spending the majority of time, less time about, you know, understanding all the science behind that and being very good at articulating the science behind that and how it works, but more about like getting in touch with the feeling side of yourself, right? And, and sifting through those layers of your unconsciousness so that you can be a clean mirror when you're supporting people in their healing journeys. Um, and, Share as much of your knowledge as possible with people. There's, there's, there's no need to hide any of this, this knowledge because it's a continuing, continuous journey uh, with each other. And just let's get away from the competition and be more cooperative with each other. Mm-hmm. I say to that. Yeah, I think all of those things and just always being open to learning from the experiences of others, mm-hmm. which I think just ties into the conversation we we're having about elders and um, recognizing that even if you have certifications and <laughs> papers and trainings yeah. and whatever else, that there is always more to learn. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, just staying in that humility. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about the certifications 
You know, I think <laughs> what, what I think if you really wanted to observe your effectiveness, so to speak, as a healer, you should look at the practitioners that come to you, right? And how are they doing in their lives? Mm-hmm. Uh, have they improved? Or is are you if you've been working with this person for three years and they're still having the same concerns and issues that they had three years ago, maybe you should encourage them to see someone else, right? Because, right? So, and I know that's tricky, right? Because, you know, capitalism gets involved and, you know, people have bills to pay, right? But this is not a place of for, fit, for paying bills, right? It's about, you know, at ultimately you, your, our job is to really support a great, a collective consciousness, right? A greater collective consciousness, mm-hmm. a higher vibration, so that none of us have to make those types of decisions in the first place. So certifications are great, but you, you can look back at the last 200 patients that you had and, and look at how, are their lives better. Look at yourself, right? right? This is like, this goes back to like, how are you doing this work if you've never done the medicine, right? right? Like, and the, this idea, like heal yourself first. Right. And like then, there's no rush. If yeah. you're rushing to do this because you want to call yourself a healer, you want to be the one serving the medicine, like mm-hmm. take a pause mm-hmm. and fix your shit first so that you can walk through the world as a living example of how these medicines and these practices and living your life in ceremony transforms your being and then contributes to our collective liberation. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise like what you doing? Yeah. 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 And then for the, my elders and I would say like, I'm 52. So I'm like, I'm, He's like a he's like a, like a baby, baby elder. elder. Baby elder. Baby, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, baby elder, baby shaman. Like these young folks have lots to teach us, right? So it's good to to, to hold on to these these, tradi- to these traditions, but remember they're constantly evolving, right? And at one point, the only people who were doing these medicines were the coranderos, the healers, the shamans. Now all of us are doing these medicines because we've evolved. More of us have easily meet our primary needs. And so now we can have these deeper existential conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So you gotta, we have to evolve with these practices, right? So just also be comfortable with opening your mind and your hearts to the knowledge that these young folks have to, to share with you. And the tools that we use to share it. And the tools, because they got some mean tools. Mm. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that. And we've, barely scratched the surface in an hour long conversation but luckily <laughs> we have luckily we have afropsychedelia coming up it's on the 15th to the 19th when that information will first be available i imagine maybe it'll find its way into podcasts down the road and there's a lot of really really cool topics that are going to be covered during that that series. And so I wanted to give you a moment to just share a little bit about what's going to be on offer there so that our listeners who have had their, who have just been kind of stimulated in this conversation can go way, way deeper with the series that you're presented. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so the purpose of Afro-Sigadelia is to share stories of healing across the diaspora. So frequently folks in, BIPOC folks, Black folks in the psychedelic space were, were asked to speak but like on topics of race always and not as experts in the psychedelic space and experts of our own healing. So this is a platform for some really dope Black folks who are living across the world uh, to share about their journeys with sacred earth medicine. We are touching on uh, 
psychedelics in or sacred earth medicine in Africa, both in pygmy history, we'll be touching on Iboga and Buiti, motherhood and psychedelics, building your own practice. We have some cultivators who came on as well. We have some folks, uh, the founder of the Black Burner Project. So that's oh, yeah. uh, Aaron Douglas. Yeah, exactly. So um, we have Aaron speaking as well about her experiences at Burning Man with another young person who who does really cool education around Burning Man. If we think about Burning Man like a, like a psychedelic experience, it's also very hard to figure out, like, how do I get there? What's it about? What oh, are yeah. right? So they're going to be talking more about that practical side of things. Um, envisioning an Afro-futuristic future with yeah. the sacred earth medicines, microdosing, liberation through microdosing. We also... So yeah, so that's all of Afro-Psychedelia. There's going to be medicine people, therapists, cultivators, educators, all coming together to talk about how they work with these medicines. And, and the purpose is also to like really break down that stigma to show all of these really dope people doing beautiful liberation work and working with these medicines to accomplish that. Yeah. I love it. I'm already sold. Sign me up. And, yeah, uh, and I, totally I love it. Free. And then we have the Buiti elders wrapping it up on the 20th. And then we'll be um, doing our March masterclass on microdosing to dismantle your internalized oppression. Yeah. And, and when is that? When is the March? It's on uh, March, March 2nd. So we do a monthly masterclass. Um, and I think that's one of the ways that we sort of bridge that gap is like a sort of lower barrier entryway into some of these basic topics. So that will be our next conversation. Right. And we do have a mutual ceremony money fund. So yes. those please donate to that fund because one of the big issues is accessibility. It's expensive to do these ceremonies. The medicine's expensive. The healers, you know, put a lot of time and energy into these practices. So we want to support everyone in those. And one of the ways we, we uh, thought about doing that is creating a mutual ceremony fund. And then people can apply to support themselves and currently practices that are legal in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yep. Beautiful. Well, we will have all of that in the show notes. So links to everything. And hey, thank you so much for coming on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure to learn from you both and to to meet you after being familiar with your work for a little while. It's really an honor to have you here. And thanks for everything that you've shared with us today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is a great conversation. Yeah. We enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to myhealth.com to learn more. The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.